ask for your prayers. As we went through chapter 1 of the book of Colossians, we drew note that this text is dealing with temporal salvation in the world, that it's dealing with the text of uh, the church and the preaching of the Gospel and the comfort that God's children and what we are to preach. Colossae was very heavily influenced with the doctrines of Gentiles, but also the Jews were there and them trying to mix the law service and ceremonies with those true, with the, not those, but the true doctrine of Christ. Paul has given us the doctrine of Christ, the Creator who came to this world and saved His people from their sins. There is no other way to know God. There is no other way to have life. There is no other way to have knowledge. There is no other way to have anything of God or from God except in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul teaches us that our nature is sin inherited from Adam and we can do no better than to sin and rebel against God but God as he said in Ephesians, who is rich in his mercy, God made a way in his son Jesus Christ to save his people from their sins. I'm going to back up to chapter 1, verse 28, to bring us up to chapter 2. Uh, whom we preach, speaking of Christ, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom. This is not every man in the world or of Adam's race. We must rightly divide the word of truth. The Bible says, God hath given to every man a measure of faith. And then we find in another place that all men have not faith. So which is it? Does the Bible contradict itself? No, the Bible does not contradict itself. The Bible, where it says God hath given unto every man a measure of faith, is speaking of every child of God, born of the Spirit of God, for we have not faith until we're born of the Spirit. Faith is the fruit of the Spirit. And he says, all men have not faith, because whether the doctrines of the world and the religions of man like it or not, everyone is not among the children of the sons of God, and the natural man receiveth not the things of God, nor can he, for he spiritually discerned. Say that to make a point. When he says all men, teaching every man in all wisdom, he's speaking of everyone born of the Spirit of God in all wisdom. That is not the wisdom of the world, the philosophies of man, or the teachings of the world. There is absolutely nothing wrong with education. There is absolutely nothing wrong with learning the things of nature and what we're taught in school in the way of learning and bettering ourselves in this world. I used to wonder why we had an economics class. Everybody ought to know how to spend a dollar, but when you take economics, you learn you're not supposed to spend every dollar. Such things as that. Just from a man who spends a lot of money. And he said, teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ. The word perfect means fullness as we learn in the gospel that we would hear 
and preach and teach the wisdom of God pertaining to Christ, pertaining to the knowledge of the Godhead, pertaining to His work, His purpose, and all that is entailed in the Son of God. And then Paul says, this is going to bring us to chapter 2, wherein to I also labor, Paul an apostle, Paul a minister, a preacher of the gospel. That's a heavier responsibility than what the ministry today has. We are pastors and teachers. We're to care for the flock. Peter said, feed the flock of God which is among you willingly, not by constraint, not for filthy lucre's sake. We're here to preach the gospel. The gospel does not cost you one single cent and that is quite contrary to the teaching of the Jews. But we see, Paul says, Wherefore, whereunto I, apostle, also labor. Man had great authority as an apostle of Christ. As we go through this, if God will help me, we'll bring some of the power and gift of the apostle out. He said, Whereunto I also labor, working hard, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. He labors. Matthew 11, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest unto your souls. A child of God, born of the Spirit, by the grace of God, begins to labor, to fight the good fight of faith, to strive to take up their cross daily and serve the Lord. We can do things that were commanded to do as Paul thought he did, being a Pharisee of the Pharisees, as touching the law blameless. We can do things that God has given us to do and commanded us to do. And we can do them for the wrong reason. And they're not acceptable of God. The heart, the heart which God has prepared. Paul says, I labor striving to His working." When God takes away the heart of stone and regeneration and gives you a heart of flesh and causes you to mourn your sin and causes you to loathe your former self, that's the work of God. That's in Christ. Christ saved you on the cross, made you holy before God the Father, holy and without blame in His blood. When you see that and you loathe your former self. You loathe what you were by nature. You loathe the things that we're about to talk about in the next verse. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to His working, God's working. It's not your choice. It's not your doing. It has absolutely nothing to do with anything we ever did or have done or could do. For we were sinners by nature. It's all in the work of God. It is all in the work of Christ. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, for we preach Christ crucified. Everything we have of God is in Christ. There's no other way. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to His working, God's in Christ, which worketh in me, the Apostle Paul, Mightily. The power of God that created the world from absolutely 
nothing is the same power of God that it took to give you life while you were dead and trespass and sin. The same purpose of God, the same God, the same Godhead, Father, Word, Holy Ghost. Now Paul, in speaking of the ministry, in speaking of himself, an apostle, and the others, and this even continues today, but not nearly, I do not believe, to the degree that the apostles suffered. You remember, they were put to death, many of them, for us. John lived the longest because he took the Lord's mother into his house, and I do believe that's the reason. But they all suffered. Paul was beaten. He was stoned. Hated, persecuted all the apostles where Peter was crucified upside down. James thrown from the highest point of the altar upon the ground as they, the Jews, rejoiced in his suffering and death. Paul was beheaded, I do believe. Some say boiled in oil, but tradition holds beheaded. For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you. Paul is teaching these brethren and sisters who are Gentiles in the flesh. Like we are today, they were surrounded by heresies, lies, winds of doctrine that glorify man, blasphemy before God because it glorifies the creature, not the creator, by the works of the law or by whatever way, money, false idols overlaid with gold or the Jewish law service. In its time, the Jewish law service, God accepted it. He ordained it for a purpose. The purpose of the law is to teach us of our sin and to teach us of grace. Many in that day tried to corrupt grace with the law. That's why you have the Galatian letter. And many still do today. Paul says, For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you. I used to look forward to going to work when I was a young man. First ten years of my career. I looked forward for conflict in the sense that I looked forward to going to work and battling against evil people. That's a conflict. That's a conflict between two forces, principalities and powers. That's a conflict between God's children and the world. It's a conflict between the law and those that do not violate the law and those that do. As time went on, I dreaded that conflict. I hated going toward it. Especially after God put me back in the church. Just making an example of a conflict in the way that I know how. Paul said, For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you. First of all, notice the conflict is for 
the church. It's for the good of the church that Paul was sent of God, an apostle and a teacher. He was sent to preach the gospel, which brings life and immortality to light, that God's children could have comfort from the gospel. God does not just love us in heaven and immortal glory. He does not just care for us and teach us and dwell with us in heaven and immortal glory. That's not the only salvation eternal in heaven. We have a salvation here in this world where we sit under the knowledge of the Son of God, the preaching of the Son of God. Paul says, I have great conflict for you, the church, and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Paul had conflict. You know yourself, and I do not have to wonder if this has happened to you, because everybody here loves God. Therefore, that teaches me that everybody here shares a bond in Christ and love each other. You're all God's children. You may not sometimes think so because Satan attacks us and that's part of the conflict. But you know as well as I do, sometimes we worry. There's a conflict in worry. Buford Dean said, worry is an insult to God. I say amen, although I do it. That's my nature in my flesh. There's a conflict between worry and in faith. We worry about the war overseas. We worry about COVID. We worry about our loved ones and our families. But we know through Scripture that all of God's children are in His hand. They will all be delivered to heaven and immortal glory no matter what happens in this world. And even though we suffer, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be revealed with the glory which shall be revealed in us. There's a conflict when we kneel in prayer, whether on our knees, I can't get on my knees anymore. It's hard enough to get down. I sure can't get up without something to grab hold of or somebody help me. Getting on your knees or in your closet is teaching us that we are to humbly bow before God in prayer and in the privacy as if it was a closet communing between us and God in heaven through Christ. But sometimes when we kneel in prayer... The greatest gift we have while we live here, communion with God, prayer, and the greatest weapon that God gave us in this world, prayer, to bring our petitions to the Lord. Men should always pray. But the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Another conflict, spirit against flesh. But sometimes when we are in prayer, and we're striving to pray to the Lord of heaven who has control over all things created and everything is created except God who is a, an eternal being. 
When we pray to Him, sometimes as we're praying, maybe laying in the bed at night in the darkness, or maybe riding down the road whenever, even praying at church, we have conflict. Satan, who seeks to devour temporally, cannot do it eternally. Satan, who seeks to devour in this world, will put things on your mind to turn you away, your thoughts and prayers away from God. This is a conflict. Satan attacks the Lord's children. Mentioned sometime in the last couple of weeks about Revelation 12 where he saw that he was cast out and in his wrath and his anger he persecuted the children of God who strive to keep the commandments of God. Who are they? They are the born again children of God in the world. There's a conflict. You may be praying to God and and something may come up from a year ago that still eats at your conscience or ten years ago that still eats at your conscience. Something may come up you saw that day. Something that made you angry. Something that made you greedy. Something that made you lust. Whatsoever. Every man is different. And every man is carried away with his own lust. That is our nature. And Satan uses these things to try to take your joy from you. To try to make you doubt the very Son of God Himself. This is the importance of true doctrine. Mentioned this last week, I believe, but the whole world of man's doctrine. You've got to believe. You've got to believe. If you don't believe, you're going to hell. But Paul tells Timothy, if we deny Him, He also shall deny us. That means if we walk in this world denying Christ, that Christ will deny us as being His Son and His disciple here in this world. We'll be outside the kingdom of God in the sense of not having any fellowship with the saints of God in the assembly. Yet if we believe not, you let that settle in. If we believe not, Yet He, Christ, abideth faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. Every one the Father gave the Son has eternal life promised to them. Whether they walk in shame in this world, whether they walk in sorrow and rebellion, or whether they are the best one in the church in the eyes of man. Every child of God has eternal life. There's a conflict that Satan has in attacking a child of God. Spirit against flesh. The spirit is willing. James said, resist the devil. And he'll flee from you. Draw nigh unto God. He'll draw nigh unto you. Well, we pray. And we try to resist the devil. Because the Spirit of God within you is willing, but this flesh of Adam 
is weak. It still seeks and clings to the things and after the things that God has separated us from. Draw nigh unto God and He'll draw nigh unto you. We strive to do that. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. This is a true statement. But he doesn't stay fleeing for long, does he? Right back at you. Right back. He never stops. Gil said, and I can't remember where it was at, one of his writings I read years ago, God suffers some men to have great temptations in this world while others seem to have very little. First of all, you cannot see in a man's heart. Only God can. So therefore, I don't know what someone else sees or not. But I know the things that attack me and the things that hurt me and the things that I hate. And I know how they prevail most a lot of times, most times in my heart. And I have to fight and I have to pray daily. Not just daily, hourly. God help me. God help me. I can do nothing else. And yet Satan is always there. This is conflict. This is conflict. That Satan strives to take away your peace, your knowledge of Christ, and your joy in the world. He said, For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you, and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, the apostle, my concern is here at Ebenezer. I pray for the entirety of God's church. I pray for Beulah, Vestavia, Grants Mill, Oak Grove, New Hope, where Steve's at, Flint River, where Ben's at, every church that I know of and remember, I pray for them. Many of them I haven't seen in years because God gives us a love of the ministry. Paul, an apostle, most certainly by the working of God which worked in him mightily, cared for the entirety of the body of Christ, which is the church. He said, I have a great conflict for you. I am suffering for you. Because he was placed of God in a position to oversee the church of God as an apostle and to and a minister and to feed the flock of God. Now, some might say, which is among you, meaning the church you're at. And I pray for Ebenezer. This is my concern. This is my home. This is where I pray every day, God bless. Paul was speaking of the entirety of the body of the cross, and he was making this known to those other brethren, Laodicea, Ephesus, Galatia, wherever, that this concern was for them. That God loved them. That this doctrine which was being preached to them, the same their pastor, prophets taught, the same they'd heard from other men, 
The same they had heard from the Apostle Paul or heard that he had preached even though they'd never seen his face. Knowing the power of God was in him and with him. God who took him from the religion of the Jews to grace. Grace. That's what we have. Grace. For He giveth more grace. Paul says, I'm suffering these things for you because the ministry is here called of God, Christ's ministry, to teach you of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Brother Estes said way many years ago, a preacher, a God-called minister. Okay, get that straight. One called of God, not just somebody that wants to be one and decides he's good and upright and proper and I'm going to preach the Gospel. One called of God has a closer, deeper, more intimate relationship with God than other people do, than other saints do. That's not saying he's any better. We see what Paul did persecuting the church. But in the brilliance of God taking this man raised up in the Jewish religion, self-righteous in the way of the Jews, persecuting the church, having them put to death, committing them to prison, that God took him as He does all of His people while they're dead in sin and touches them and gives them life and sends them forth and Paul to preach the Gospel to the Gentiles. I suffer this for you. The church. This is a great conflict. I heard Sonny Powell say one time years ago, probably 20, down at Bethlehem Church, he said, Satan sets his eyes on a man, a minister, and he begins to pursue and he begins to attack. Every man's different. They have their own lusts, their own problems, their own sins. Satan knows each sin, each person's sins and what attacks them. And he'll hit them with it, and he'll hit them with it, and he'll hit them with it, and he'll hit them with it. And when he's caused them to fall, he puts a feather in his cap. Goes on to the next. The point is that the ministry is heavily persecuted. Spiritually, and temptations, not just in physical afflictions. This is true. But we're talking about forces, principalities, powers of darkness that constantly try to attack the one that God has set in the ministry. And were it not for the power of God and the grace of God, He would succeed because we are nothing but flesh. We're not better than anybody else. If anything, we're the least of everybody else. That God sustains. Paul says, because he's talking about him laboring and striving according to the working which worketh in me mightily to preach Christ. This great conflict to you in Colossae and Laodicea and those that have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts, listen to this, 
Listen to the love of God. Well, why should I go to church? Listen to the blessing of worship. That their hearts, and I'm not judging, I'm telling you, I have been out of the church before. It is heartbreaking. And like the prodigal son, it is joy beyond compare when the Lord gives you repentance and brings you back. Paul is preaching Christ that their hearts might be comforted. When your loved one has died, that you might be comforted in the knowledge that Christ is raised from the dead and is the right hand of the majesty forever making intercession for the saints and that when the child of God leaves his body immediately, he's with Christ in heaven above awaiting the resurrection of the body and be reunited with the spirit and soul and so shall we ever be the Lord and don't leave this out for we shall see him as he is. There's a knowledge Oh my goodness, it brings comfort. It does not matter what happens in this world. That knowledge of God, that knowledge in preaching the Gospel, the Gospel of Christ, victorious over sin, death, hell, and Satan. Comforted. That their hearts might be comforted. Temporal times are hard. We see nations rise and fall. We worry. God gives comfort. For as the Bible says, God raiseth up kings and God setteth down kings. The heart of the king is in the Lord's hand. That's why we're to pray for those in authority that God would cause them to rule in a righteous way. That's not to pray, Lord, bless that evil man up there that kills unborn children. No, that's silliness. To pray that God would cause them to reign over men in government in a way which pleases the Lord. That is what we are to pray for. But my point, the comfort that we have, that God has control over that. I remember a couple of decades ago, everybody worried about the sun and the moon and the stars. Well, we're getting too close to the sun and, 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 and it's going to consume the earth and all these things they taught decades ago trying to put fear upon man to pass this global warming tax. I have comfort knowing that all things are sustained in Christ. The sun's where it's at, and the earth's where it's at, and it's going to stay where it's at. Or at least in a position where life is sustained in this world until every child of God is brought into being and born of the Spirit of God and Christ returns and takes us home. I have comfort in that. I don't worry about comets hitting the earth. I'm not worried about wars. My nature comes up. There's a conflict in me and I want to go fight these people that are hurting innocent people and babies and children. That's my nature. God has all His children in His hand. The comfort of the Gospel that their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love. <laughs> 
we get here, I have to literally slap my face to get the smile off my face to be able to lead singing. It's a pleasant place to be. It is the best place in this world of creation. Is the church that Christ established here in the world. We're with brethren and sisters of like precious faith. The love of God flows from person to person, from faith to faith. We're here as the family of God knit together in the love of God. We talked about Ephesians 4 last week. The whole body being built up in love. We're built up in the love of God. We're built up in the love of Christ. We're built up in the love of each other which is among us and in us in Christ. We have the comfort of God. Our hearts being knit together in love and unto all riches. This outweighs gold. This outweighs silver. This outweighs our worthless dollar, which is no more than monopoly money based upon the stock market. Unto all riches, the knowledge of the Son of God. Well, I tell people they're supposed to accept the Lord and receive Him. That's not biblical in the way they portray that. And we'll get to that eventually. Lord willing. This goes back to eternity. This goes back to in the beginning God created. This goes to the new creation in Christ. The knowledge. The knowledge of Christ. Not this weak man who was but a man or was but a prophet the second person of the Godhead, the living Word of God, which was made flesh and laid His life down and raised it up again. The knowledge of Christ. The knowledge of grace. For grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Truth being that He manifested the Godhead in His body, bodily presence, Healing the dead, raising the dead, healing the sick, giving death to the dumb, sight to the blind. The riches of Christ manifested of the Godhead, of the power of God, of the grace of God to people that were at enmity with Him. God is sovereign. Does God not have a right to do as God wishes? to those whom He loves, to those whom He chose, to those whom He died for. And then His hatred upon those who are left in their own state of fallen man in the nature of Adam. Is it not God's right? I get comfort in the Word of God. The Gospel, that's what Paul is telling them. Their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love of each other and of God unto all riches, now catch this, of the full assurance of understanding. Now you hear this. People places saying you don't have any assurance. You don't have any assurance. You're going to go through life doubting. If you sit there with your hands in your pockets and your backside in the seat, And don't strive to draw nigh unto God. You may very well go through your life wondering 
But what we think, say, and do has nothing to do with it. Every child of God will be in glory. John said, For I write unto you that ye may know that ye have, not that you may think, not that you may wonder, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. What was the stipulation to those who believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life? It's not because you believe He is. Believing He is is an effect of being born of the Spirit. The Spirit of God gives life. What I'm trying to tell you is before God gave you life, you could not have known it or believed. Once God gives you life, you do, and that life never dies. The full assurance of understanding. Now, we'll never in this world know the fullness of God and His purpose and His glory. I don't think we ever will in heaven. And when we stand raised up in the image of Christ, in perfection before God, God is so great, so majestic, so powerful, so wise, so glorious. I don't think even in that condition when we see Him as He is, we can do anything but stand in awe and admiration of the very Son of God. To the acknowledgement of the mystery of God. Now we talked about the mystery of God from being revealed from Revelation 3 in that context, as I said last week and the week before both, I believe. That is dealing with the Gentiles being fellow heirs with the saints of God and the kingdom of God here in the world. They were always fellow heirs in glory. They were always elect. But the mystery of God here being spoken of is the mystery of the Godhead. For great, without controversy, for without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Christ has manifested to His people the mystery of the Godhead, the Father, the Word, the Holy Ghost, and all that is entailed. We talked briefly about that last week. To the acknowledging acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of His Christ. What about that? His Christ. The second person of the Godhead, the Son of God, without sin... Sin could not approach unto Him because of His glory. It would be consumed. Yet He laid aside the glory of the Godhead, was born of a virgin, took upon Himself the body, lowered the angels, body of flesh, had the body of flesh, All man, all God. This mystery is revealed in the Gospel. This is what Paul is teaching these people. Turn aside from the doctrine of the Jews. That has been fulfilled. Was not done away with. 
was not changed. It was fulfilled. Christ bore the wrath of God in the law because of our sins. In whom are hid, speaking of Christ, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This is not speaking of philosophies and the vain things of men. As I read this each and every time I do, I think about a doctrine that's fairly new in society and time regarding how long it's been taught, but it's not new. In fact, it's from Satan. You can trace this all the way back to the rebellion of Satan and beguiling of Eve if you think about it. And that's the doctrine, the philosophy of man. Well, matter has always existed. Uh, it's always been here. And it came together, it floated together by accident and chance and formed the world and man washed up on the beach and some little tiny creature and has evolved to the point of where we are now. That is a blatant lie and has become a doctrine of the religion of Satan. Because the Bible, the first words of the Scripture is in the beginning, God created. Okay? All their philosophy, all the wisdom of man, all these things that seem right to the natural mind who does not know God. Oh, they made a more if God quickens them. But speaking of those of science falsely so-called, there's a true science that teaches us how God makes flowers to bloom, how trees breathe out oxygen, how we breathe out carbon monoxide, I believe. It's been a long time since I studied that, but how we keep that circle going of life in the world, how God does that. Not how some squirrel-headed liberal fool is going to tell you the world has always been, for there was nothing. God did not need matter. God did not need anything. He does not change. He does not need anything today. He does not need anything tomorrow. He purposed. He said, and it is, and it was, and God created all things out of absolutely nothing. In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. <clears throat> Go read Proverbs 8. How beautiful. Not going to get into it. I won't finish this. In Him, in Christ, this prophet, yeah, he was a prophet, priest and king. He was a man, yes, all man. And He is God, all God. In Christ, who manifested the Godhead are hid all the treasures of the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you. Remember, he beguiled Eve. Oh, that fruit's pretty. The day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt be as God's knowing good and evil. Boom, there's death. Unless I say, lest any man should beguile you, he tries to beguile us today. 
that we would die a spiritual death in this world and be separated from God. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Oh, brethren, don't it feel good if you'll accept the Lord, if you'll come unto Him, make your decision today. You might die before you go home. Let's go to John chapter 1. For as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. The word received means to lay hold of and not let go. You see the text in Genesis where Israel wrestled with God. He would not let go until He blessed Him. That's how we're to grasp Christ while we live in this world. And to as many as received Him, gave He them power to become the sons of God. These were they that were not born by blood. Their nature from their daddy and their mama didn't give it to Him. What's He telling the Jews? It's not through Abraham. It's not through Moses. It's not from the flesh. Well, I'm an Israelite. You're a Gentile dog. It's not through the will of man, let that sink in, it is not your choice. Those that are born of God, those that God hath given life, who are they? Those the Father gave to the Son. They have the ability... As Paul told Timothy to lay hold on eternal life. That's not gaining eternal life. The text is dealing with the knowledge of Christ. They have, they've received Him. That means to lay hold of in an intimate sort of way as a family member. They've latched hold of the Gospel, the doctrine of their brother, Jesus Christ. They walk in it. They practice it. They strive to fight against the world every single moment of every single day. And through that, God manifests through them that they are the sons of God living in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, and they shine like lights in this world of darkness. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, I've never seen their faces in Laodicea and these other places. Yet am I with you in the Spirit. Many will. I've read many folks who think this. Let me say it that way. I had never thought about what I'm about to tell you until I read it some while back. But it makes perfect sense. Some, to get my part out of the way, the first part which I've always believed, Paul said, I'm with you in spirit. That's the Spirit of God that has us close together in union and unity in Christ. 
I'm with you in spirit. I may be over here. I may be imprisoned in Rome. Yet I'm with you in thought and heart and deed and prayer in the spirit of Christ. And I'll have that 110%. For we all are one together. And He's with them in Christ, separated from the world. But there's also what I have read and the apostles had powers that we don't have to raise the dead, to heal the sick, all the things entailed in that. Many people seem to think that Paul had the ability to know what was going on in other places. We do see that in the Old Testament. One of the books of Kings. I don't know that. I can't tell you that. I'm telling you what people said. I'm not saying it is true. I'm not saying it's not true. I'm giving you something to meditate about. But Paul said, either way, I am with you. Whether he saw them in visions or whether he was with them in the Spirit of Christ, it's all in Christ. So I am with you in Christ. Though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying. Here's what we have in the Gospel. Here's what we have in the church. Joying and beholding your order. Your order. Your doctrine. Your practice is laid forth in Scripture to to sing hymns to God with your heart. No instruments. To pray. A brother would pray a public prayer. All will not do that. I don't pressure a brother to pray. If I usually ask him if he will, then I'll get him to pray. But prayer, and a prayer in the heart is just as valuable as an open prayer. But to pray and to preach the doctrine of Christ. It does not come from a seminary. It does not come from the church. It comes from the Lord Himself who gives these things unto us. That doctrine is Christ and Him crucified. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order, and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Where does your faith come from? Why do you believe? Your faith came from being born of the Spirit of God. You believe because God hath revealed it unto you. Preacher didn't do it. Church didn't do it. Pope didn't do it. Seminary didn't do it. Jesus Christ did it. Give Him the glory. Faith. Order and faith in who? (laughs) There's nobody else. There's no other Lord. No other faith. There's no other church. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Christ. Intended to get further than that. Let me see where I'm quitting. We'll take up verse 6 next week, Lord willing. 